Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good afternoon from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and Whitney are here this afternoon, and I guess this is one of our first entomology podcasts, Whitney. Yeah, well, we talked about red bandits a little oh, we bit. Did. But yeah, we did do that. Ditch bank survey yeah. and red yeah. bandits. That's right. Not that, that, that wouldn't. Oh, my God. Well, you're going to have to leave that in there. <laughs> it's an interesting part. You know, those things have a vibrate switch on the side for a reason. Sorry. And I forgot it was there. They were always worried about my phone ringing. That's okay. We were in the assembly for the ninth grade award things earlier, and Tracy elbows me and points to the person in front of us who was actually on the phone in conversation while they were having people come up to the stage to get their little awards. I just kind of shook my head. So back to where we were before we were so rudely interrupted by Whitney's phone. <laughs> Sorry. So we did a, a, the survey podcast, but this is the first. In season. Yeah. Real-time entomology podcast. So it's a pretty high bar. These are always pretty popular. Don't be nervous. No pressure. No pressure. No pressure. So we're going to talk about thrips, which is one of the first big insect issues that usually comes up every year. Have we drowned any thrips? After this rain, probably some. <laughs> yeah, it's frog choked them. It's been raining for a couple of days now. Wow. Uh, <laughs> either, feast your famine on that. Front. Yeah. So uh, if you want to go back to think, consider the fact that we did the podcast talking about irrigating corn and what's it done really since we've <laughs> we yeah. did that podcast, it's, <laughs> it's rained just about everywhere. Kinda, just about everywhere. We kind of flipped that switch. So, Whitney, M- Memorial Day weekend. Is this weekend? That's kind of the kickoff for summertime. So, aside from working, what's your favorite summer activity? Summer favorite summer activity. I would say if I can be on a body of water, I would be happy. Beach, pool, lake. I prefer the lake or a pool. The beach, I don't really like the sand. But if that's what I had, I would take it. I was gonna say that's my issue. I don't love the sand. It gets everywhere. It stays everywhere. See, most of my favorite summer activities, aside from work, it usually involve an air conditioner. <laughs> yeah, mine do too. Uh-huh. <laughs> Barker lounger, air conditioner, television, and there could be anything on. It doesn't matter. Cornhole competition, ping pong, psh, doesn't matter. As long as it's not 95. <laughs> That's right. Volume at about five, and I can nap right through that. So, Whitney, we've got... A lot of cotton up and going. We've had some cotton that's kind of taking it on the chin with some wind and some herbicide damage and various different things. And naturally, the thrips play right into that, being the time that they like to chew on cotton and then some of the treatments that we use for them as well. So tell folks how bad the thrips pressure has been up to this point. So up until this point, there's been a few calls about thrips making foliar applications. Obviously, we recommend an app planning treatment, um, but there are times when even with an app planning treatment, we still require foliar insecticide application. I know in parts of at least East Mississippi, they've been really heavy. I'm sure there's also been parts of the Delta where they've been very heavy, especially just, just coming up. It seemed like they were an issue. We had this same problem last year. Um, There was a small window where they were really heavy early on, and then they got a little bit better. So kind of seeing a similar trend this year where there's been a number of foliar applications going out. Then you start adding things like sandblasting. Then when we're concerned about potentially delaying maturity, if there's thrips, generally we try to go ahead and spray those acres so that we can hopefully get that 
that plant growing past that window of susceptibility. I probably ask you all this every year, but what goes into making a big thrip year? You know, we talked about wintertime weather some on the Red Banded Stink Bug episode. So is there an environmental phenomenon that relates to the severity of thrips infestations? I don't know that I can answer that question as well as maybe like Dawn and Jeff or Angus. I'm sure there's a number of factors that do go into that. The best thing to do, though, is NC State has a thrips predictor. And based off of your like where you're at latitude and then when you're planning to plant, it'll tell you when the most severe thrips is likely to occur. So obviously they have a model, so it's going to be based on certain environmental factors, conditions, weather that go into that. So obviously there's a number of parameters. I specifically can't give you those, sure. um, but they are there. So like when I looked up Stoneville, for example, May 5th to May 10th is when we were going to get the highest thrips damage. So obviously I plan to try to plant all my cotton in that window. Um, so if you plant it outside that window, there's still going to be thrips, but hopefully the severity is less. But again, we know with this pest, whether it's a good year or a bad year, we're still going to have them no matter what the environmental conditions are. It's you're a hundred percent chance of having a thrips infestation in cotton. Aren't they worse in situations where they leave, they remove residue from the field surface? Isn't yes. that right? That is correct. So anywhere there is remaining residue, so like we have a field out here with wheat residue or some kind of cover crop where something's there, oftentimes that damage is less. We think maybe it impacts the thrips ability to find the plant because there's so much there that in conventionally tilled systems, they're more readily available. Oftentimes, too, if you think about a tilled system versus a non-tilled system, those tillage systems those plants tend to be a little bit healthier initially and so there may be some draw because there's more there's more vigor to that plant than there would be in a no-till situation you also end up with a situation whereby the only thing that's present and green in those fields are, are the cotton plants yeah and there's nothing else growing there because they've whacked it with a herbicide right behind the planter usually or in front of the planter and then planted with the exception of a field where we might grow a cover crop, we don't tend to have a lot of high residue cotton production. I mean, we're by and large going to drag beds off prior to planting. No, and even yeah. in the situations where it's a corn cotton rotation, they've done a really good job with tillage and buried the bulk of that residue. Just not a whole lot really gets through the winter time, you residue wise, like that. There's still corn straw out there, but for the most part, it's it's pretty much rotted down. Yeah, I ran across time. some the other day, and I don't even remember where I was, that I was questioning if they had burned it, and they, they had, because you could still find charred corn stalks in there. You know, not an uncommon practice. But So what about resistance? It hasn't resistance been an issue with one particular? It's thymothoxin has been the one. So we've had neonicotinoid issues for a number of years so we don't we haven't recommended thymothoxin for a number of years we still recommend imidacloprid which is a neonic so you would think there's potentially some cross resistance there but we notice because imidacloprid tends to be an avoidance we do still see some control with imidacloprid so that's why we've still recommended it up till this point because we do still see some control unlike with thymothoxam but in addition to now the neonics we're starting to see some acephate resistance so the last couple of years we've sent populations to the university of tennessee where they've conducted bioassays looking at acephate and so both starkville and stoneville populations are showing about 75 to 78 percent control of acephate and and 
just in those bioassays. So right now we're, we're still recommending over treating with acephate or acephate and furrow. And right now we're still evaluating those in all of our current trials. And for the moment, we're still going to make that recommendation. But there is a potential as this acephate changes in the future, we may shift away from using acephate even at planning because of the resistance. What should field practitioners be looking for when you talk about injury? What's the most recognizable symptom associated with thrips injury on young cotton? And, and break that down by growth stage because growth stage is obviously important or number of leaves. The most obvious one generally is like the crinkling of the leaves. Um, sometimes they'll cup a little bit, but crinkling is really the best indication. Obviously, as we get more thrips damage, that crinkling will be more se- severe. Sometimes you'll see like a possum ear, maybe even kind of like a silvery <coughs> Could you color. Describe a possum's ear. <laughs> I, mean, I think I think some not everybody might not know what a possum ear looks like. Yeah, I'm not sure I've ever like looked at a possum ear, but I would say what more kind of like ovaled with the point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, digress with the possum's ear. Possum ear shape, but the crinkling of the leaves is really the best the best indicator. And obviously when they're feeding on those plants, those leaves don't really fully expand, so they're going to be smaller. We're really only concerned until about the fourth true leaf stage. After that, that susceptibility decreases. Um, so really within those first couple of weeks is our, main, our biggest concern. question that I get asked a lot this time of year is about the thrips treatments and then mix in with early post herbicide treatments. I feel like over the last couple of years, we're more inclined to break these treatments up. So rather than doing a Roundup dual dicamba plus an insecticide, maybe we're doing the dicamba and the insecticide then coming back with the Roundup and dual. I've said this several times this spring Whenever I say something like that, then somebody's going to be the exception and say that's not true. But uh, the questions I get, especially over the last couple of weeks, have been about making separate applications or separate applications come up in the course of the conversation. Related to that, what are some of the popular insecticide treatments that we target thrips with and then injury potential? And we can talk about interaction with herbicides too if you want to. Yeah. So obviously our biggest up until this point, it, treatment has been acephate. Where we start getting concerned about mixing with uh, herbicides is with like things like dimethylate or bidrin. Those EC formulations tend is where we get a little bit concerned because you may see some additional burn. Generally, it's cosmetic, but you know those factors you know, are there, and some people are concerned about them. I think right now today's Wednesday. I haven't looked at the forecast for temperature over the next couple of days. I looked for the rain, but I wasn't looking for the... But earlier in the week, Thursday and Friday, were forecasted to be relatively cool, particularly for the last few days of May, like 75, 78, something like that. Nothing, nothing warm. And I don't even think anything higher than 82 or 83, if I'm not mistaken. So it's going to stay pretty cool. For a treatment like dual which is really common this time of year on younger cotton for residual weed control, cool weather, cloudy weather, wet weather, combinations of the above are kind of worst case scenario for herbicide injury. How does insecticide response factor into those types of weather conditions? If anything, 
having an insecticide is probably more important in that in that environment, especially for thrips, because all of those things that you just added to are going to make thrip situation worse, right? Because those, those plants are growing slower. As far as spraying an insecticide during that time for thrips, I think is fine. There are other insecticides where we are concerned about temperature because insects aren't necessarily feeding within in a certain window. So then um, you're not seeing as good of controls if you would if it was warmer, sunnier, etc. Um, but I think the biggest thing would be we're got to think about more so the interact, not so much the efficacy of the insecticide, but more so the impact of that those temperatures then you add maybe some herbicide symptomology and then you add thrips damage well what are what are those impacts going to be long term until we get out of that that window susceptibility and that plant starts growing a little bit better and grows kind of out of some of that among those insecticide treatments so acetate bidrin dimethoate we know that the dimethoate for sure, mm-hmm. maybe bidrin to a lesser degree. Yep. And then acetate being relatively safe. So among those three, for thrips, is there advantage to one over the other in this application window, given the fact that we could possibly get some injury with one and, and maybe not another the like other. acetate? So in the last couple of years, dimethylate hasn't looked great. So I wouldn't recommend that, especially in this window where we may be concerned. Bidrin, we have to be conscious of because we are starting to see some acetate resistance that there is a potential that bidrin is maybe doesn't work as well. Um, the bioassays last year were pretty similar, but in 2020, bidrin actually was performing a little bit better than acetate. But I've had some people that have made bidrin applications and said that it was working well. So... Bidrin could be an option, but again, there is still some concern with it. Honestly, that leaves you with Intrepid Edge or Radiant. A lot of times we recommend Intrepid Edge because it's a little bit more cost effective. And as far as I am aware, I don't think there is a concern as far as with herbicides, but I could be wrong on that. Yeah, I've never heard of any with those either. So then in that case, I would recommend Intrepid Edge because that's right now that's our best option for thrips. Best option plus safety factor too. I've been in fields before, and one stands out particularly in my memory that when he had sprayed his insecticide, boom section had messed up. So he had just these, it was four, five, six rows for a pretty good distance through the field, just absolutely annihilated with thrips damage. I guess what's the yield penalty associated with thrips damage in cotton? So that's always a hard question to answer because you really can't pinpoint it. Obviously, depending on the year, there's a lot of environmental factors that are going to go into our ability to compensate. So what we consider now, this is, again, just talking on a scale. We we talk about three as being the point on our scale where we can potentially see economic dam- you know, losses, yield losses. So if it's being annihilated, you can almost assume that it's well above that three. So, if so it's what's a, a three? Three on a scale of... We do a scale of zero to five. So zero would be a perfect plant, which we don't normally see. Even things like aldicarb, which looks 
beautiful a lot of times still has a little bit of thrips damage and then five would be plant death so obviously if these plants were still alive but there was a lot of damage i would say it's probably going to be between a three and a four so that's that's really a window where we can start seeing yield losses but then you start thinking about we're early in the season what's going to happen from that point to the end of the year so are there other stresses so disease drought how long do we have until the first frost um, you know, things like that, because a lot of times thrips are going to delay maturity or have the potential to delay maturity. So if we have that extra couple of weeks at the end of the season, we may be able to compensate. Um, but we do know based on just basic at planning treatments that in the based on previous data that on average, we see about 115 pound increase from just controlling thrips at planning. So there's obviously an advantage to controlling thrips um, in that in that window. Was there likely some yield loss in that situation you're talking about? It's possible, but how to quantify that is difficult. It's always a challenge with cotton. Tom, I'm sure you see the same thing with sealing disease because it's it's a long season crop. It has a remarkable ability to compensate during the later growth stages, being an indeterminate crop. But then so many other things can go wrong, too, up to the point of you can basically lose it all at the end if you get some fluky weather events late yep. in the season. So cotton is always I mean, it's a fascinating plant, but it's a, it can be an incredibly frustrating plant. Well, too. and your complexities now with thrips-like injury and thrips injury and the fact that you have this whole cotton leaf roll dwarf virus phenomenon that I think we're still trying to point at to determine what the specific symptom associated with that is. But I think that le- that symptom expression is really hard to get down to whether or not you're looking at thrips injury or cotton leaf roll dwarf virus because then, depending upon what herbicide you apply, if you put something like Envoke, out and you put it out a skosh too early, you can end up with some pretty significant injury associated with an invoke application that can be confused with both thrips injury and something that might look like cotton leaf roll dwarf virus, at least based on the pictures that I've seen. And that's something that once Thrive On comes out that we're going to also be concerned about because we don't recommend spraying Thrive On technology, but there are a lot of environmental conditions and things that manifest what you could say as thrips symptoms and it's going to be a mind sh- mindset shift to say hey i know that there's things that maybe are causing thrips damage or even if there's some out there that we still don't need to spray this and, and it's hard to not jump to conclusions and, yeah. and we've gone so far as to mark plants and take real plants that were pretty young in a field of cotton and and had the virologist test them and they all came back negative so we were we were both disappointed and discouraged and then really stopped following the symptom expression following that because nothing was positive, which went really against conventional wisdom. When he mentioned Thrive On, and that's definitely something that I wanted to bring up in this episode, where are they in the process of commercializing that Thrive On technology? So the last that I heard, and it could be updated since then, they were still waiting on approval, I believe, in Korea. So we were still waiting on that approval, and then once they have all the approvals, I guess we'll move forward. They are on uh, more acres in Mississippi on MPE growers. Um, so there'll be some more people looking at it this year. But hopefully, you know, we're still a ways away from 2023. So hopefully maybe they'll get their approvals for commercialization soon. Do we know anything about the varieties? I mean, is it like waiting on go and some 
good varieties or is there going to be a lag process between the full approval and really making a splash across the landscape? If I had to make an assumption, I think that it's already in some some good varieties based off of what we've been looking at because there's some sister lines that are that are non-thrive on that we're looking at. So my assumption is they'll be ready when it, when the time comes. You'd said early on that the rain's knocking all your thrips off. What kind of rebound time you look at? Or that's there's really no hard and fast rule associated with that. I mean, once it starts drying up, you'll notice those plants. And I mean, it rained yesterday and I actually went out there and still found some. I mean, they're still out there. They're still everywhere in the landscape. You know, they're just knocked off of those plants. But th- I would say they are going to rebound pretty quickly as soon as it gets dry. In the event that somebody thinks that they have an insecticide failure and wants to have a bioassay conducted, who should they contact? They can contact either myself or Don, and we can go out there and make a collection and send those to the University of Tennessee. Okay. And then what's involved in making that collection? I mean, because you want something pretty specific, don't you? We just need plants that have thrips on them. Okay, then never mind. Not something that's super specific. So wherever they made the application, obviously we'd want those plants <laughs> with thrips. Duh, Tom. <laughs> so normally what we... <laughs> about we have Jeff on and talk about rice water weevils. I usually make a comment, something to the effect of, I don't know that I've ever seen a rice water weevil in person. I, I just can't find those little suckers. Not unlike thrips. I mean, I can find thrips, put the piece of paper and oh, yeah, sure. tap them off like that. But otherwise, nah, I don't know. I had thrips until after the fact. Whitney, thank you for taking the time out of your rainfall-filled afternoon to sit down with us and have a conversation about such an important topic. I can't say that all the thrips will disappear after this podcast is recorded and finished and in the box, like it seems other things have occurred this year (laughs) after we've done that. But thank you. We greatly appreciate it. Whitney, before we go, why don't you give a plug for the scout schools? Yes. So we have three scout schools this year, agronomic scout schools covering insect identification, uh, crop identification, Tom's going to give a spill about something. On June the 2nd, we'll be at Delta Research and Extension Center in Stoneville. The 7th, we will be in Verona at the station there. And then the 14th, we will be in Raymond. All of that's posted to the blog, or you can call my cell and I'll give you more additional information. And as usual, we'd like to thank our regular listeners. We really appreciate it. And we will continue to bring you up-to-minute content as things happen in the field. Jason, thanks, man. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.